Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. My topic today is online privacy and cybersecurity. It's my privilege to be speaking with David Rees, content writer with Malwarebytes. David, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. It's uh, great to be on the show. Let's start here. In today's enterprise, what do you see as the relationship between online and data privacy and cybersecurity? Yeah, it's a great question, right? We see these two concepts thrown around, I think, every day now. And the relationship sometimes isn't so super clear, particularly for companies that are in this field. But a really good, easy way to think about it is just that cybersecurity is a means to achieving data privacy, to achieving online privacy. Uh, by practicing, let's call them good cybersecurity measures, and we can obviously get into what good means later, uh, but by practicing those measures, companies are better defending data privacy, both for their users and also for their employees. Uh, sometimes we see that the easiest lapse in cybersecurity uh, in a data breach is just human error. And so sometimes watching out for those things, making sure employees are uh, easily protected with uh, as few opportunities, again, for, like I said, human error, someone leaving a laptop somewhere, somewhere someone leaving an iPad somewhere, uh, those kinds of things, uh, making sure credentials are properly stored. Uh, all of those things are, are really going to help a company protect both, again, its own data privacy, you know, and that can be things like trade secrets, that can be things like their patentable ideas, and it's also going to help their users. Uh, and then moving just a little bit further, the relationship between cybersecurity and online and data privacy for companies is actually, it's actually a legal one. Uh, there are laws to protect data, uh, and there are even some laws that say not necessarily exactly how, you know, it's not you have to do X, Y, Z, but they do say you have to protect data. Uh, and it's a pretty clear example here in California. We recently passed the California Consumer Privacy Act, and it calls for what it, it's, it's this, uh, this quote, reasonable security procedures and practices. The reason it's kind of brought there is because what reasonable means, uh, you know, today is obviously going to be something different tomorrow and five years from now. But if a company suffers a data breach and it's because that company did not have, again, quote, reasonable security procedures and practices, uh, that company could be sued uh, for anywhere as little as $100 per data breach incident to as much as $750 per data breach incident. If you lose a million people's data, uh, look, you multiply those numbers by a million, you know, $750, you do the quick math, that's not something you want to happen. So again, this relationship we talk about here, cybersecurity, data privacy, online privacy, one, it's a good practice to, for companies to do it, you know, they protect their data privacy. It's the right thing to do. It's what consumers want. Uh, and in some areas, it's also just flat out the law. So, David, here's a question I hear organizations debate pretty frequently. How much do people actually care about their online privacy? Yeah, yeah. We ran an experiment here. We ran a survey at Malwarebytes uh, this year. And the quick answer is they care a lot. We surveyed roughly 4,000 individuals across 66 countries. And again, the resounding takeaway, the majority care about online privacy. 96% said they care about protecting their information online. 97% said they actually take steps to protect that information online. That means some refuse to reuse passwords. Some check if their websites you know, that they're making purchases from, that they have HTTPS enabled or compatible. And some just choose to not put any information online at all. 
just refraining entirely. We also broke that down by age group, parsed out, you know, baby boomers, Generation X, millennials, Generation Z, sometimes called iGen. They all felt the same way, caring about online privacy, caring about protecting their information online. Across the board, we were getting 90 percentile and up. So flip side of that, talk to me about the business. Obviously, they care, but what's the business risk of losing user trust when it comes to online privacy? Yeah, absolutely. Losing user trust today equates to losing users. It's actually just that simple. I'm sure listeners uh, all have someone personally in their life that they can think to who has decided to jump off the big platforms. Uh, we're talking you know, Facebook or Twitter. And when they ask those people why, it's because they feel that it's not right the way companies are handling data. Uh, I myself, I have a friend who deleted his Facebook account because of reporting from the New York Times huge November story about how Facebook uh, neglected to basically report, you know, according to the report, appropriately respond to internal crises. So if you're failing to protect user privacy, you're now, according to users, failing them. And also when you draw enough public scrutiny, uh, at least today in the United States, you also risk drawing congressional scrutiny. Uh, earlier this year, Google angered users because it failed to disclose that a microphone was installed in one of its home security products. The microphone wasn't detailed in technology specs or promotional materials, and people were upset, and then Congress was upset. Uh, they sent a letter to the Google CEO, Sundar Pichai, asking for answers. Uh, honestly, once Congress is getting a bad view of a company, uh, it's really hard for them to turn that idea around. And congressional scrutiny is something that I, I think it's pretty fair to say no company wants to have to deal with almost ever. So David, what should organizations be doing to walk this balance and both secure their users' data and protect their privacy? Yeah, yeah, so we can just talk about one pretty small area here, storing passwords uh, appropriately, how to you know store credentials. One of the simple things we look at is uh, that companies should not be using password hashing algorithms that have known security flaws. Uh, there was one a while ago, it was called a MD5, very popular hashing algorithm. It's proven to have a crucial vulnerability in about 2010, but in 2013, we saw that that hashing algorithm, which we knew had a vulnerability, it actually played a role in that extremely large Yahoo data breach. Again, if you see that there is a hashing algorithm that has a vulnerability, don't use it. Also, consider not using passwords at all, if that's possible. We're so used to the idea of passwords that our security infrastructure seems to be built on their assumption, uh, that we assume they're necessary. Many companies out there, however, uh, have actually kind of rolled them back. So employees now are using USB keys to log into their machines or QR codes. Also. Anyone who's watched, I think, any kind of cheesy spy movie in the past 40 years has seen that there are fingerprint scanners, retina scanners, hand scanners, face scanners. Uh, there's all kinds of things. But that technology is out today. You know, biometrics are out today. iPhones are opened with a face scanning mechanism. And so, again, removing the opportunity for a password to be compromised is a good step in securing uh, data privacy. And also really small here. Uh, properly configuring your servers. Dow Jones exposed about 4.4 gigabytes of data because it didn't set up its server to be non-public. This doesn't mean that it was searchable like on Google, but if someone did have like find it who wasn't supposed to, they could access it. So 
those are just a couple of steps. Well, you mentioned some great possible authentication technologies there and techniques. I wonder if you might be able to give a practical example of cybersecurity protecting online privacy. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to switch a little bit here to uh, a different thing from just passwords. We're going to be looking at encryption here. And we're going to be looking at secure messaging apps, uh, something that's really boomed in popularity in the past years with a couple of options out there like WhatsApp, you know, giving end-to-end -end encryption uh, by default to all of its users, and also Signal, uh, which was released a couple of years ago. And essentially, what these things do, what these messaging tools do, is uh, they try to protect messages uh, between people so that those messages cannot be intercepted and cracked either by uh, threat actors or also kind of invasive governments. Uh, and the reason that's important is because a lot of the times, you know, who we're talking to and what we're talking about is private. These are private conversations. And sometimes it's, it's who we are, it's what we discuss, it's uh, really our personalities. Um, a couple of years ago, interestingly enough, I saw then President Obama speak at Stanford University and the guy who warmed the crowd up for him was actually Tim Cook. And Tim Cook put it pretty, pretty plainly, which was that, um, you know, securing user privacy, securing users' conversations sometimes is a matter of life and death. If you are in a oppressive government regime, what you say, what you believe, your political opinions, Tim Cook put it, put it pretty plainly, who you love, you know, is a matter of life and death. And so, you know, when we talk about how big this can get, how important this can get, for a lot of people, it is their it is their daily lives. Uh, it is ways to protect themselves. And so, again, we're looking at secure messaging here. That's just one step: protecting your most private, intimate conversations through a messaging app that does that appropriately. David, one last question for you: Talk to me about malware bytes. What are you doing to help your customers to ensure both their security as well as their privacy? Yeah, yeah, what a good question, because uh, at Malwarebytes, we really do believe that we're out there, we're catching the bad guys, right? We're the ones who are catching these ransomwares, these spywares, we're catching different kinds of malware out there that uh, when utilized against victims, uh, those, the type of data that's gathered from these breaches, from these attacks, it's used as leverage to take money from people, to hurt people, to invade their privacy. We're trying to stop those things from happening. We're trying to stop threat actors from gaining the first piece of information that they use to further pump, again, uh, victims for more money or just put them in compromising situations. Uh, we try to not only detect malware uh, on people's machines, we try to prevent it from ever finding its way onto people's machines. We're a cybersecurity company through and through. And, you know, like I said, cybersecurity is the means to protecting online privacy. Uh, that's what we're here for. David, very good. I appreciate your time and insights today. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great. Again, we've been discussing online privacy and cybersecurity. I've been speaking with David Rees, content writer with Malwarebytes. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.